Well, welcome to Demo Jockeys. My name is Jack Cochran. And I am Adam DiTomaso. And this month, we've been walking through Just Effing Demo by Rob Falcone, who, oh, look at that. He's sitting right here in the studio with us. Welcome, Rob. Welcome to the show. Welcome, Rob. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have um, you join the show because there's some things that we were talking about that we'd love to get your your view cleared up on, some additional conversations. I think it's always fun to hear from the person who wrote the book. Actually, a little bit scary, I should say, to hear from the person who wrote the book after you just got done talking through it. Like, you really hope you didn't, like, completely disagree with something that they had to say. <laughs> Um, but for those of you just joining us for the first time, uh, these episodes do drop uh, every week. And every month we go through a different book. The book next month, we're going to be going through The Storytelling Animal by Jonathan Gottschall. Uh, so if you want to read that along with us, join the conversation, pick that up. There will be a link in the notes about where you can pick that up. Uh, also, you can check out demojockeys.com for past episodes and what books we're going to be checking out in the future. Rob, we want to kick it off a little bit today, and I really just want to begin with a real basic, easy question. What was your inspiration or your reason for writing this? What got you into it? Why did you start it? And what was your motivation, I guess you could say? I mean, put bluntly, my motivation was that my demo sucked for a long time. <laughs> and the context to my shitty demos, I think, is what led me to, to write the book. I had gotten my start at uh, a tech company, it was a company called Monotate, uh, in customer success. So I knew the product inside and out, I knew our customers inside and out, got tapped on the shoulder to move over to the sales engineering team, and demo after demo after demo, I could see the customers' eyes roll into the back of their head, and my numbers that, I mean, if you could call them numbers, it was a lot of goose eggs on the board in terms of closed uh, closed one deals influenced and I was like why why is this not working I know the product I know our customers and it took a lot of trial and error um, at the time we were doing you know quick time recordings on my Mac watching myself and trying to figure out where people were checking out and through a lot of trial and error and uh, you know the resources that were available at the time some awesome books but maybe uh, a bit dated um, and inaccessible for for my sale, um, I was able to make it work. And I just thought that through all that trial and error, all of the resources that I had put together to help myself, if I could help some other folks avoid the mistakes that I made, uh, it would be time well spent. That's a that's an excellent story. And it's actually very funny to me personally because it reminds me of my story. I started out in tech support. I knew the platform. I was deploying the platform. I was fixing the platform. Why won't anyone listen to me when I sell the platform? Because the same type of situation. Oh, you should come to sales. Let me go try it out. And that was my adventure into pre-sales or my first step many, many moons ago with web analytics. But it's that's really a great parallel because I got to imagine there is a lot of people out there. I mean, the popularity of the book, the enjoyment and what we got out of it. There's a lot of people out there that are in that same exact scenario, same exact situation and can really benefit from this guide. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, uh, it, it's interesting to hear that you started in tech support because a number of the folks on my current team started in tech support. And that's been something that's been really rewarding. Um, these are people that are super, super talented, clearly super knowledgeable because they're coming from the nuts and bolts in the product of, of the product. So 
to be able to help these folks kind of take a step in their career, uh, in their career journey that they want to take and seeing them struggle through the same things that I struggled with. We all struggle with those same things, but to see them, you know, maybe more quickly move through those and start to succeed than I did. Um, it's really, it's been really rewarding. I'd be curious to know what was the most surprising thing coming from tech support into pre-sales. Oh, you mean nobody cares about that particular widget I just showed you? <laughs> <laughs> that thing is so cool. Like what I thought was awesome. The the, And then realizing that these were people that were, for example, marketers who didn't know what that particular widget did or didn't care to know the code. They cared to know that they got a report that allowed them to make an intelligent decision. And, I, you know, to for me, the big picture was seeing the big picture really helped me a lot and really helped me get focused. Yeah, I, I would definitely have to agree with that. Like that's the biggest thing I see anyone who fashions themselves a technologist and hence joins pre-sales because of that in some way, even people who don't come technically from tech support, but they're just, yeah, I'm a technology person. This seems like a fun way to do sales. You have to get them out of their head of thinking that everyone's going to just fall in love with your software because it has so many features. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... And how long did it take you to get to love it? probably a few months and you're trying to convey that in 60 minutes <laughs> that's so true yeah you, <laughs> and you you love it because you work there like and so you've been in it for for three months not because you've been you, you might buy it have to spend money on it it's absolutely right. exactly yeah um no I, I appreciate the background and and i can definitely say that the piece that i took away from it as well and actually why we wanted to do, do this as our first book is because it's the one that allows you the least barrier to entry of any book that I saw recommended for pre-sales, which I have to think was done on purpose, right? I'm assuming that the short scope of the book was you wanted something that anyone felt like they could do and instantly see success. Is that right? Exactly. There, as I mentioned, were a lot of great books out there that I poured through in my struggle from being shitty to, to getting better. But I know that just from an accessibility perspective, that wasn't necessarily going to be accessible for everyone. I was thinking about maybe founders of a company who are pitching to investors. I was thinking about maybe product managers who demoing the product isn't their primary day job like it is for a pre-sales professional. Um, I was thinking about people at the time uh, when I wrote the book, SaaS was really kind of on its earlier upswing, you know, certainly, you know, far earlier in the in the SaaS journey than it is today, uh, almost 10 years later. So you didn't necessarily have for for my type of the, the solution that I was selling, you didn't get days and, and weeks on end to interview stakeholders uh, as part of the discovery process. You had 30 minutes, if that. So I wanted to put something together that would just really help folks take that one next step forward. And, and maybe that's the thing that gives them the confidence to go and continue down the path and read one of the, the longer uh, the longer works or, or go through now things like uh, the, the pre-sales pre academy or listening to your podcast. Um, so I guess my hope is that the little pamphlet that could could be the 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 appetizer before the the main course. Yeah, 
I mean, I let's let's not let's not sell it short. We we it's not like we had nothing to talk about over the past three episodes. We actually had a longer list of topics that we had to kind of pick and say, hey, we only have three episodes for this book plus our episode with Rob. What's the most important things that we took out of the book? Which at first that was my concern before I read through it. I'm like, will a book this size have enough? But it does. It's definitely packed full of what you need in order to take you like make a good step for sure. Uh, so I appreciate that. I'm glad to hear. And I think that it's um, in a way a good mirror for what a great demo looks like. A great demo provides a ton of value in a very, very small package. It strips away the fluff. Um, it's super relevant to the audience. So um, maybe I wasn't thinking about it with that specific lens when I wrote the book, but it's really great to hear that you got a lot of value from something very concise. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I always, I always tell people there's no reason why you have to talk for two hours if you can convey your point in 10 minutes. Like, yeah. let's let's shorten this down. Like, let's <laughs> I love it. Um, I did want to get into what we talked about in our second episode from a couple of weeks ago. Um, Adam and I were talking about buckets and we went back and forth between the two of us a little bit on when you're in front of a customer and things kind of shift and change on you. How do you decide what order to put? the buckets in because I had a perspective on the kind of make sure you've got the the biggest bang thing and Adam was more on the line of whatever is your most feature rich piece what's kind of your perspective around how do you order your buckets appropriately yeah there's a couple of, of nuances there so let's kind of look at it from the perspective of what to start with what's the, the first bucket in my opinion it's so situational and it's really hard to say you always start with blank um, because I would bet that uh, your approach, Jack, might work great in starting with um, a specific bucket for someone that you're talking to and someone else that Adam's talking to. It might be better to start with maybe the most feature rich thing. I think there's no one answer, but what you don't want is that first bucket to convey uh, this guy's just going through this this canned script or uh, yeah. this gal's going to go uh, step one, step two, step three, step four. And I'm probably not going to be excited until step five. So I'm going to check out and check some slacks while they get through. So you want that first bucket to elicit some sort of a reaction, some sort of an emotion. And it could be, oh, wow, that looks way better than the way we do things today. That would be great, right? But it could also be like, hmm, interesting. I want to learn more. And that's great because now they're leaning forward and, and really engaged with your next bucket. It could also be they react to that first bucket as like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not the way we want to do it because it gives you an opportunity to probe in and now pivot what bucket you go to next. So I think that that first bucket it's really important to think about what is, I always like to say, the biggest thing that this person cares about. Is it their number one pain that they're dealing with? Is it their big initiative? Is it the thing that their boss told them, go out and look for a thing that does blank? Because if you can align around that first thing and get them into that lean forward, all of the other buckets following you have now a, a playbook from you know the book that, that you can then use to sequence and, and maneuver those. Absolutely. And a nice thing is too is, is it's interesting. You made a point, the kind of like the lean-in moment. 
because once you do get their attention, it's a lot easier to hold it throughout the whole presentation and really have them engaged. Exactly. The buckets concept as as maybe silly as it seems, thinking about like putting features into an imaginary bucket. I found it's it's been just such a powerful tool, not only for me, but for the the folks that I coach, because it does a few things. One is that it's a forcing function to make concepts digestible. You can only fit so much into a bucket, in quotes. It's a way to make the demo an extension of the discovery conversation, because you can bolt on a question at the beginning. You can bolt on a question at the end of the bucket. And then the last piece is it's a way to ensure that you can continue to make the demo relevant as you go because you can move those buckets around. And so again, when you learn something by, let's say, bolting on a question to the end of bucket number one, you learn something new. And now maybe you go, okay, what I had originally planned on covering in a second meeting, I'm going to move that up to bucket number two because of the way they responded to the question at the end of bucket number one. So even kind of active reshuffling the buckets based upon the conversation, I mean, it almost lends credence to figure out how small you can make your bucket buckets to make them stand on their own. Because if I, if I can have a three bucket meeting or a three, three bucket kind of script or set, I'm, but, but if I can split those three into six buckets and they're still meaningful on their own, that's more pivotability that I could have in the meeting. Exactly. We'll go through exercises, um, particularly earlier in someone's tenure when I'm working with them, where I'll have them play a clip that we've recorded and say, how many different things did you talk about in that one? It could be 30 seconds and they'll go, oh, I talked about feature A, feature B, feature C, feature D. Okay, that's four things. Do you think any of those four things, the importance of them really landed? And most folks are like, no. And I'll go, okay, let's pick apart each one. Bucket for feature A, bucket for feature B. And what they find is that, you know, if, if you're fortunate enough to be selling a, a, a powerful solution, you can probably break each of those four features down and show, look at all of the problems that feature A solves and all the value that feature A can drive and have a more of a conversation about feature A that then leads into feature B versus when you just combine them all into one lump sum, it's not going to get the outcome that ultimately we want, which is to really help this person understand the problems and the scope of problems that the solution can solve and ultimately how much that's worth. Yeah, absolutely love it as well. Focusing on the value that we want together, right? As a, as customer and and uh, um, solution provider or vendor. Like I think I did I did love that part of the book as well. We talked about that I think in the the third episode more on that 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 we language I heard you using very strategically there, um, which is is a very powerful shift as well. Um, question for you, Rob, because I know uh, the book isn't. A book you put out last year or the year before um it's not a, a really old book but what's changed since you came out with the book something has to have changed maybe your perspective has changed as you've been doing things with people focusing on the book what would you say if you had to change something today or something you would add what would that be 
Well, what's changed is a lot. Um, so much has changed over the last, man, I feel like so much has changed in the last week, let alone the next, almost, the, the last 10 years. Fair. If I were to compare what I'm seeing right now to what was true in uh, 2014, I'm seeing a convergence of skill sets where more roles need to use the strategies and tactics and best practices that were really built and perfected by pre-sales folks, which makes sense in a lot of ways. If you think about what pre-sales folks are, are really good at, it's being consultative, but also having a commercial milestone in mind. It's connecting the dots between a product and the business problem and value. It's making complex concepts simple, like we talked about earlier. Um, and so now in 2023, you have AEs that need to demo on discovery calls, where maybe those calls were just discovery conversations when I wrote the book. You have CSMs that need to demo to drive expansion, where maybe their role was solely focused on adoption when I wrote the book. With product-led, you have roles like sales assist and product specialist, where maybe they're hopping on with someone who's using the product and doing a 15-minute demo to compel the person to go and actually do a step in the product. Mm -hmm. So all those things weren't necessarily the case in, in 2014, and I have to think that it's a combination of you know, product-led becoming a, a very viable and powerful go-to-market strategy, as Adam said, it might take you six months to fall in love with a product. Well, when I wrote the book, the only vehicle you had to make someone fall in love with the product was a 60-minute demo. Now, those folks can actually use the product and start to fall in love with it, but maybe they need a demo to expand use cases. So product-led, I think, is one reason why I'm seeing this convergence in roles. And the second one is the macro, the macro economy where companies realize we need to be more efficient. We need to to really get the most out of our headcount, and starting to see some some blending of the of those roles and skill sets. That's a great great point because the more and more in my career, what I've noticed when I've gone on site, I'm when I've talked to partners, when I've I'm a, I'm technically a partner to begin with, but um, when I talk to these organizations as these customers, they want everybody to understand what's actually being delivered from the SDR slash BDR, that lead generation person to the account nurture person. Everyone needs to understand. It's not just about the demo, but understanding what the organization does and how to intelligently convey that message. And a book like this is a lot, is very easily consumable. This is what I like to call a Starbucks book. I can take this into Starbucks with a large coffee and by the time my coffee's done, I've gone through this book. And it's somewhere where I direct people when I do, when I talk to those BDRs, I've had people recently come up to me after I gave a demo. Um, interestingly, during the time when I read this book, using these tactics because it was an opportunity to and it was fun, um, have them, but having them come up to me and say, why did you do that? Or where did you learn how to do that? Or I need to talk. When I talk to my clients, I wish I could talk like you. Well, I... I point them in this direction of this is a place to start. 
And this book is a great place to start for that because you get it down, as the title says, Tactics for Leading a Kick-Ass Product Demo. But it's also these tactics are useful just for a kick-ass product conversation. I love that you mentioned folks asking you why you did something. Of, of saying that I have with my teams that they probably roll their eyes every time I say it. But it's really, it's easy to give a demo. It's hard yep. to give a really good demo. And yeah. that was the difference when I first started where I knew the product. I knew our customers. I could click all the things. I could show you every single product feature in the suite. And it wasn't leading to the outcomes I wanted. That thoughtfulness and being really strategic about what you do. I mean, it takes a lot of thought and work. I went through in a call coaching session just today with a member of my team and she and I were breaking down um, her first bucket and you know why she made the decisions that she did, how she might react in a future situation. And I was like, take a step back and think about all of the crunching that you're doing in your brain right there. I mean, there's so much that you have to account for to give a really, really good demo. And so, yeah, to your, to your point, Adam, I think more and more people and personas are coming to the recognition that, hey, what the solutions engineers and the solutions architect and the pre-sales folks, what they've been doing over there, it's actually really important and it's really hard, but the good ones can teach me how to do that. I love that as well. And as if we think about kind of the expanded audience that as can see good use in this, and you're absolutely right. I mean, more people are asking for how can I do a quick demo for so and so. Um, it's the tactics that they need to use are the same, even though the outcomes they might be driving are different. You mentioned, I think, uh, the most interesting one to me is kind of the area of product led growth, an area that you don't think too much about demoing traditionally because the idea is well, someone's just going to go download it and try it. Why do you need someone to demo? But I think the faster growing product led organizations are seeing you need that value guide, so to speak, um, which is kind of the role that pre-sales traditionally has held. But in a product led growth org, you don't have a full pre-sales team usually. So uh, in that org, do it's, does anything change from the script about how they would go about presenting the ideas of their software to someone who's had their hands on it for the past couple months trying it out? Yeah, it's something that I experienced firsthand over the past two years building a, a product-led growth assist team. When we first started the team, the idea was exactly what you mentioned. Folks should get into the product, start a trial, use it themselves. But in the case of our product, all of the sharp edges hadn't been refined to make it fully self-serve. So people needed human assist. And so where my team was, was getting in there and helping them, it was actually more product training. Like crack open your screen, you click this button, you click this button. And it was, you know, let's call it like, 80% product training with like little value bits kind of dropped in there because that's still important. At a point in time, we expanded that team scope to begin giving demos at the top of the funnel to people that were coming in requesting demos. 
Well, now all of a sudden I had to almost kind of like unwire and then rewire folks to, hey, remember how deep you were digging in there and really into the nitty gritty and making sure that they, they could sit there and push the buttons and, well, now we're going to do something else. Um, there's a good graphic that I wish that I could show where in that training I have uh, a, a little, call it like a one, two, three, three by two matrix. And on the top row, it's demo. And in the bottom row, it's trial. And we think about what's the goal of a demo? The goal of the demo is to just take the next step up the ladder. Whereas the goal of the training is to make this person think, I can do that. I can push these buttons. How informed are they? In a demo, they're probably not super informed. Maybe they know a little bit about the, the, the problems you solve. That's why they requested a demo, but they're not super informed. The training, they probably know a good bit and you can go deeper, farther, faster. And then what tools do you have at your disposal? And there's a, a Lego visual here. Um, in the demo case, you're using the box. Mm-hmm that has the Death Star put together and you're like, whoa, that looks like a, you're kind of showing them the outcome and saying, trust me, we'll help you get there. Whereas in the bottom example, the thing, the, uh, the training example, the thing that you have are the Legos themselves and you're helping them now assemble the Legos. So it really is a very fundamental change and one that I think going back to the bifurcation of roles, that's why you had that in the past. Hey, you guys just focus on the trainings. You guys just focus on adoption because if we put you in a demo, you're going to get too into the weeds. People are going to get confused. They're going to be like, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. We were like, we've got a sharp team. We need to be able to do both things. Let's train them. And uh, it's really impressive. The, the, the folks that I get to watch every day and see them go from, I have a 15 minute product training with person who's in the product. Now I have a 30 minute demo with an executive. Now I have a, a 45 minute guided trial, you know, metrics. It's pretty impressive. Um, so yeah, long, long answer to a short question because I'm passionate about it, but yes, it does require different tactics, uh, shifting between product training and product demos. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Um, that's, that's something that I, I I had to admit before kind of chatting with you before we were getting ready for this episode. You were mentioning all the things and the changes around uh, product and growth. I had never really spent any time considering it. It had been this other piece, but it's I am now kind of watching and seeing the world start to collide where now there's you need more of you need people who can do that hybrid role, which is the hardest thing I think possibly to do to not be someone who either does training or does demoing, but finding a way to meld those two together is that's a new skill set. We're going to have to figure out how to hone and craft. And it sounds like you're, you're doing pretty well with your team today. Um, we're, we're actually running short on time before we end Rob want to give you space, anything you wanted to call out, anything you're working on right now, anything you wanted to highlight. Always happy to have these conversations with folks. So feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn more than happy to chat. I've been writing a lot. Um, I'm trying to get up there with the Kardashians and be an influencer. It's not really working as well as uh, as they've made it work. But um, no, I think in the same vein of um, when I wrote the book, took something that I saw as a challenge and put it into that vehicle. I've been trying to use um, LinkedIn posts as a way to kind of highlight 
things that I've been observing. I'll be dropping one probably this week about um, what I've observed, tips for leading good call coaching sessions. So feel free to look me up on LinkedIn. And just want to say thank you to everybody that's bought the book, especially those that have reached out and told me it was helpful. There's When I wrote the book, I did not think I would be sitting here talking about it almost 10 years later. And the fact that this many people have gotten value out of it, appreciated it, uh, that just means a lot to me. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for joining the show. Really have enjoyed having you. And uh, we look forward to seeing all of you who have been joining us for the conversation listening in Um, next week. When Don't we forget off our next month. So pick Jeff up just demo. pick pick up just stuffing demo uh, if you haven't read read it yet, and then pick up this book. We're going to be starting going through next week. Not a sales focused book, a storytelling focused book, which I think will be a really interesting conversation. So until next time, thanks again, Rob, for joining us, and we'll see you all in the next episode. See you all in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs>